how can you be part of a religious community that straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers i would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against some churches still the one they claim that worship was the actual how can your story be good that is from the majority of people on the church end up going to hell? Like, how is that actually good? It seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical than they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy, and today our guest is Caroline Oaks. Caroline is a writer and spiritual director whose essays have been published at the On Being Project, which is awesome. The Huffington Post. By the way, I said awesome. That wasn't in her bio. She didn't add that to herself. I, I actually said that for people listening. <laughs> at the Huffington Post and her bi-monthly Mind and Spirit column in the Bucks County Herald, an award-winning regional newspaper. A student of everyday spirituality, wisdom, teachings, and the human spirit. She has a master's degree in ascetical theology from General Theological Seminary of the Episcopal Church. Where, when when were you out there? When were in you New York General? City? Yeah. Uh, in 2010. Okay. Yeah, that's eight, cool. Eight, nine, ten. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Beautiful. I've actually was Yay. just on campus there recently when I was out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It's and participated in Thomas Keating's Contemplative Ministry Project. She is trained in teaching contemplative practice by the Shalem Institute for Spiritual Formation and Mindfulness Meditation by Mindful Schools, Inc. And she lives in Annapolis, Maryland. Is that still where you're at in Maryland? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, nice. right, right downtown. Yeah. And I will remind people of this in the end. You can connect with Caroline on Instagram at Caroline Oaks and find more of her writing and other projects and stay up to date at CarolineOaks.com. And her new book, which I will be mentioning throughout this, is Practice the Pause, Jesus's Contemplative Practice, New Brain Science, and What It Means to Be Fully Human is out now. I'm going to stop there. Caroline, thank you so much for being with me personally and with us for the listeners in the Church Needs Therapy community as well. Mm, Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you for inviting me. You know, this is this is where I have to begin. It was like a moment where I was like kind of laughing to myself when when I was reading your work. You quote Jesus, mm-hmm. Rumi, <laughs> Richard Rohr, Thomas Merton, Cynthia Bourgeau, Adya Shanti, and Ken Wilber all within the first couple of chapters. And I'm like, right. are we like family already? Is this and some of them were for me were down to the individual quotes I've used or yes. have ready to use in my next book. I'm like, this is like yeah. the actual quote from an entire <laughs> book that I might use or maybe have used already. Um, yes. How, wh- where, where do you see that? Even all those people I just mentioned, you know, cause I'm, I've never seen anybody quote all, that all those people <laughs> in such a short area other than myself and my own work and my own, like <laughs> hidden away on the 37th floor up here. Like this all makes sense to me perfectly. <laughs> right? Where is for you the connecting point for all of those amazing writers and thinkers that I just named? Mm, thank you. The connecting point for all of them. And I and I love hearing you say this, Kevin, because I had the same experience when I read the back of Joy of Letting Go or Making of the Mystic. One of them, you you list the references that you use. And I thought the same thing. Wait, are we related? <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, it's these, awesome. Because these authors just give us so much, don't they? And I think for me, the connecting place of all of them really is what I spoke about in the very beginning of this book. And it is that light within that mm. essence in us that Thomas Merton, there's another name <laughs> mm. that Thomas Merton talks about being that divine place in us that is only, only God's. Mm. And you talk about it who as the essence, right? That can't, mm. that can never be changed. That always is God. Mm. So to me, each of those authors, I, keep being drawn to them and even and and their newer works too Mm. because to me they keep pointing to that light within and also do you think i feel like most of them turn us eastward do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean Mm -hmm. i i i I, um i think it was cynthia brigeau and wisdom way of knowing was pointing out that western christians and i grew up we all grew up here in the states in the mm-hmm. in a western christian culture um i thinking that this is the only kind of christian way of being christian and she pointed out that that we as western christians are very savior oriented you know she uses mm-hmm. that great academic word soteriological savior oriented mm-hmm. jesus as savior jesus as divine whereas in the east there is more of an orientation toward being wisdom uh, being mm. focused on wisdom and even Jesus as a wisdom master mm. um, teaching us and really pointing to us, pointing out that we have the divine in us. Sometimes as Western Christians, we lose that sense of r- Jesus's call to recognize the divine in us. Um, mm. And I think each of those those authors do a pretty good job of of turning eastward and i learned um also that for eastern orthodox friends of mine the whole purpose of the spiritual journey is this orientation toward the divine in us and us clearing away all the layers that we put on ourselves to protect ourselves right Mm -hmm. from an early age but Mm -hmm. that the whole process of the spiritual journey is to peel those away find practices and ways of being that peel them away so that we can realign ourselves again and again and again with that holy, holy place in us. So you mentioned Adashanti, that favorite quote of mine of his is um, right along these lines is Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. But we as Western Christians tend to forget that second part (laughs) and sort of put it all on, on Jesus. And he's saying, you know, come on, everybody, this come along, show, watch what I do. We can all do this and even greater things. Right. And that makes mm. our mind sort of go, what greater things? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's first of all, I mean, just that answer alone. I feel like we could end the podcast right here. And everyone's like, get the book just from that answer alone. Go read <laughs> the rest of what Caroline wrote. That was great. Mm, the light is yes. within you. Big message. Yes. There's even, even just from what you said, one, that's like a refrain at my daughter's school, you know, like, or I think it was in her preschool, like, I am Jesus and I am the light of the world, but you, but they emphasize for five-year-olds, you are the light of the world. I'm like, this is good. Sometimes I'm like, children's books have better theology than a lot of just average Mm -hmm. conventional, you know, theology Mm -hmm. books, you know, especially that are more conservative. I'm like, this actually 
in the simplification it has actually given you access to like a safer, more loving, more benevolent God. Then you get into like other things and you're like, well, God's really not that nice and the world's really not that great, you know, along the way. I'm like, just stick with the first part. Just stick with what you were telling them at the five. First part. Yeah, I think this is why sometimes in church, the children's sermon, you know, it's the quote, quote, children's sermon, but adults are kind of on the edge of their seat because it's actually, mm. we're, we're actually getting down to the essence of... Mm how to be more loving and that mm. there is love in us and ways mm. that God sees bigger than we do, you know, mm. th things, things like that. I had a children's yeah. sermon that I gave that, that, um, that is really sort of points to that. And it was that if you put, of course, we're not on video here, but if you put your thumb and your forefinger together and then wrap your other fingers around it, like a funnel and look around the room through that funnel. And that's the way we see. <laughs> and then, mm open up your your fingers and that's the way God sees. And that's the mm. way we see when we're aligned with God, seeing so mm. much bigger, that metanoia that, that, um, that, that Jesus calls us to. Um, actually, mm. I love that part. I love that part of practice the pause. Um, one of the surprises in my research was that repent is a mistranslation, right? Mm. Remember that part. Mm. And then mm. some people say it's a tragic mistranslation because the greek word that is being translated to repent is actually metanoia right mm. meta meaning like bigger than you know like mm. metaphysics is physics and more and noia meaning noose or mind so here's jesus and john the baptist right from the get-go first message saying see with a bigger mind open your perspective mm. you know as a friend of mine said it's like he's saying, widen your perspective, behold the holy. Mm. I love that. Because mm, that, that to me is what that that core message and many, many um, more sort of Eastern looking scholars now, Richard Rohr, Cynthia Bergeau, point to that seeing bigger mm. out of the like, dislike, good, bad, in crowd, mm. out crowd, and mm. opening up into that what they call non-dual way of thinking mm. i think of it really as the really a loving way of being yeah yeah no that's great and you already literally with two answers anticipated two of the questions i already yeah. like had for you later like, what am i gonna do now i mean i, I guess we can just keep talking because you keep answering my questions before i even ask them you know mm. back to, to to those writers we mentioned you know turning eastward but one of the, the things you talked about was you know, believing in the divinity, essentially believing in the divinity of Jesus and waking up to our own, right? You know, mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. connected, but they're connected, but they're distinct and, or they can be connected, but they're distinct. And you talk about, you know, the, the white, the Western Christian savior oriented lens, you know, yeah. if we are in that, it's easy to miss the call. You say to wake up to our own divinity and our own spark of the divine. And I want to talk about that a little more because one of my suspicions yeah. and one of the things that I tend to think about for people's spiritual journeys and their movement towards more and more awakening is a lot of people, whether they realize it or not, hold back from or are scared of or resist their own inner authority and their mm -hmm. own agency. Because sometimes like, you know, I, I tell people it's it, there's a difference between seeing the journey and doing the journey. Mm -hmm. And a lot of language, especially for adults in the spiritual life, the language of obedience and, you know, listening to the Bible or whatever. I'm like, a lot of that religious language, while it sounds good, 
to me is actually like a disguised form of a refusal to embrace their own. It's, it's a form of like passivity. Mm. It's passivity, you know, dressed up in the nice clothes of like obedience. But I'm like at 38, you know, at 45, mm. like obedience, like sometimes faith can still sound like this begrudging. Like, I guess I'm not going to smoke weed because God's going to be mad at me. You know, like you're 14 <laughs> years old, hiding it from your parents or something. Right, I'm like, still in you. It is there seems to be this connection between the more and more uh, the more and more authority is like outside of myself and some external object, the less and less I actually am able to embrace that, take that in, integrate it, and become that for myself. So, mm-hmm. what, from the, from the savior oriented lens to a waking up, what are some of those? How do, how does that feel differently in mm-hmm. our lives? I believe in a savior, but also oh yeah. now I'm becoming on my own journey. What are some important distinctions there for you? Yeah, thank you. You know what you're reminding me of is is a an encounter I had with a an Episcopal monk, <laughs> and I didn't even know monks could be Episcopal. I thought monks were always Catholic, um, but I think I come back to him as this sort of exemplar of of someone who enabled me to move from my head to my heart, or at least begin a practice where I was moving from my head to my heart. Cause I think a lot of what you're talking about in terms of authority and obeying what's in the Bible and is very much um, sort of placed upon us. Um, and, and, and we're kind of figuring it out with our heads and what does this scripture mm, mean? Yes. And what does that scripture mean? And did, did Jesus really mean that? Or did he mean this? Um, and what is obedience? You know, okay, well, it actually means listening, but how does that change? You're still in your head, right? Mm, you're still not mm. moving into the heart where actually you're, you're, you're resting in God and listening and realigning, right? So Mm -hmm. this Episcopal monk, I I met him, um, this was probably 10 years before I I was in seminary, but probably a good reason why I ended up in seminary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I had been, um, after college, I had moved to New York City and was training um, to be a corporate banker, just a whole Mm -hmm. whole life sort of ahead of me. I I, uh, met my husband and we married in moved out to the suburbs. And, um, and so we started going to this Episcopal church and I hadn't really gone to church a lot as a child. My father was a career army officer. We moved around a lot, Mm. occasionally went to a non-denominational, non-denominational church here or there. There was something kind of brewing in me. I remember I went to church on my own every Sunday with a seventh grade friend of mine (laughs) Mm. um, for one year. And then I was intrigued with religion. Um, I remember writing a research paper. You could write on anything you wanted to. As a senior in high school, I wrote on Zoroastrianism. So there's already that Eastern (laughs) something's pulling me, right? Mm. And we did go to church that year. I remember I was captivated by the Gregorian chant at this Episcopal Mm. church. Mm. It actually brought tears to my eyes as a 17-year-old. Something in that that being held, right? You just sort of in the, that's Mm. where you're moving, right? Already from your head to down to your heart. So, but I didn't go to church during college, really early twenties. So here we are out in the suburbs of New York city. And I'm thinking, you know, we, it would be good to go to church and for our children as they grow up, that would be a good thing. You know, I'm still up here in my head. Right. (laughs) Um, And one Sunday, this Episcopal monk, his name, um, he's only just died recently, John Julian. There he was standing up at the pulpit, and you can imagine the contrast, right? He's 
He's in his very simple brown robe with a rope tied around his waist. And, and, and he's standing up in front of, you know, New York City suburbanites in their Sunday best, listening to him. And I was drawn right into his sermon, which was about an eaglet growing up in a chicken coop. So he didn't know that he could fly. So already there's something pulling me in. There's something he's telling us, you know, that there's something in us that is innate that that we aren't in touch with. Right. So I ended up going to a talk that he had that afternoon. And I remember I was late. Gosh, I had uh, 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 my I had a three-year-old daughter and twin one-year-old daughters at the time. So you how can relate you to get, this. How could you, you get anywhere, especially in right? New York City? I think about that when I'm there. I'm like, how do you have little kids here? I, I think I about that. And so just like the little moments, like diapers, they fall down. Like I don't even know. So the fact right. that you went anywhere that day is amazing. You have a six-year-old, a four-year-old. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I had a feeling that you would be able to really understand that. Wait, you went somewhere? Yeah, exactly. After you were already Twice? somewhere? Twice? You went in the morning and the afternoon? <laughs> and I thought, okay, I've got to do this. So, so Reed, my husband, took care of my daughters, and I showed up late to this talk. And he, and I walked in, and there was a blackboard up or a whiteboard with this big, uh, big R-U-L-E. <laughs> I mm. thought, rule. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I thought, wait. Um, you know, I'd, I'd grown up in the army, rules and regulations. Are we going to mm. talk about dogma and doctrine mm. and what we're supposed to do? And sort of felt like a square peg in a round hole anyway, with some of the sort mm. of mainstream cultural Christianity. I thought, okay, mm. I'll just sit. But I realized right away, he was talking about the rule of life, the mm. monastic rule of life. Mm. Again, from Eastern desert, mothers and fathers, there's that mm. Eastern draw again. So he was telling or talking about having this balance of prayer and work, prayer and work, prayer and work. Mm. And again, I was so drawn to him. Um, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, one on one, um, how do I have a deeper spiritual life, spiritual life? And he said. After kind of a long pause, (laughs) Mm. he said, you have to find time to be alone with mm. God mm. in quiet. Mm. And he said, and also with scripture. Mm. And I said, thought, wow, time <laughs> mm. to be quiet with God and with scripture. And again, with the way my life was at that point, I thought, how am I going to do that? But <laughs> You're, I, you know, all, Kevin, all, four, I, all four of those are pretty tough for me right now. <laughs> right. And put those together. <laughs> Mm. Um, but he made it, he, it, he made it so inviting. And so he was so sure that this was possible. And mm. so there was, there was just something about that encounter that I just decided, well, all right, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Um, mm. I woke up 20 minutes before everybody else, only 20 minutes, mm. but I did it day after day, walked down the stairs, sat down in a chair all by myself big Bible in my lap. And Kevin, I decided, okay, I've tried before to read the Bible from Genesis forward. Mm. And again, remember, I wasn't really very churched. Mm. Um, so I thought, but you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that this time. I always got kind of lost in the begats and the begats. And, um, mm. you know, by the time I got to Leviticus, so I thought I'm going to start with the gospels. So I began just sitting with the gospels, but he said, you aren't going to be studying the Bible, just 
be with God when mm. you read. Mm. So, so that was a pivotal moment yes. for me, and I think was the beginning of this journey toward a contemplative life that started really just uncovering yeah. parts of me and enabling me the essence of me to enable me to live more from that that place of with that of God inside of me. So there I was sitting in the chair and I would look forward to, you know, that quiet time before everybody else is up. <laughs> it's pretty mm -hmm. magical. I know that's hard for you in Hawaii because you, you <laughs> connect with everybody so early anyway. But but for me just just even seeing the light stream into the window and then I would be reading a passage and again, not really studying it, just letting it just sort of soak into me. And I found sometimes tears would come and I mm. would not really know what, where they were coming from. I even would go back and think, what did I just read? You know, mm. the kingdom of God is within you. Mm. You know, all these things will come to you. Um, you know, just, and, and, and it would just be like this kind of, it wasn't sad. They weren't sad tears. Mm -hmm. it, it was almost like a, like an inner, inner fountain. I think, mm. I think in my book, I say that I felt bathed by the tears, you know, it was wow. just a quiet with God moment that I'd never really experienced before. So mm. um, that I think was the beginning of moving from the head to the heart. And also, I think one of the reasons why this book just wanted to be written um, it really is the practice of coming back again and again and again to that place mm. that I think then opens the way for us to live from that place mm, and live from our heart, live from that place of God in us. Mm, yeah. Yes. Is that, does that yeah, touch no, on? That's great. I mean, there, there's so much there. I mean, Ber Cynthia Bourgeau talks about tears being like one of the most sacred, like products of the world, oh, one of the most powerful right. things, you know, oh, there is. And, right. yeah. and for me, when you, before you said like, you know, a fountain where it wasn't a sad thing, <clears throat> I'll joke around with people where, you know, like I love like one liners, you know, like sometimes they just come to me like aphorisms. Other yeah. times, you know, I'm writing, I'm like, I'm going to conclude this. How do I say this? Okay, cool. Like I just love packing yeah, a lot really of depth and wisdom into a small space. And yeah. I remember going on, a. we had a, before we lived in this place, we were renting a house when we first moved back here. And I just went on a walk ar around the block and it wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere. I was just present. It was a contemplative walk. I'm just breathing, et cetera. Yeah. And I just like look, picked up or picked off one plumeria, which we have in excess here. And I looked at it and like one tear <laughs> streamed down my face. Oh, I and I actually had this see. thought, I'm like, I'm like a plumeria doesn't compare itself to a palm tree, mm. right? It just is, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, Thomas Merton has this thing. I forget where he wrote it, but he talks about like these little yellow flowers on the side of the road that nobody pays attention to are like the fullness of the glory of God just by being themselves essentially. And yeah. those tears that you talk about are in my own practice of like silence, which is like centering prayer into like a form of like, kind of like Alexio Divina I yes. do with like mystical writers. It's just kind of how I do it. Yeah. Great. It yeah. isn't, it isn't the words it is. It's the space within which the words are slowly 
vibrating, you know, and speaking to me and as, and through me and with me. So it's mm-hmm. that moment is like, you ain't even, it's just, that's, that's the beautiful thing about the actual experience. Like we're in a culture where I think more and more people, whether they're aware of it or not, are moving from, what does it look like to transition from a belief-based Christianity yeah. to an experience-based yes. Christianity? Mm-hmm. And people want that because mm-hmm. beliefs, mm-hmm will help give you a positive sense of self that help they'll help organize your your small self right you have to have yeah. an ego before you let go of an ego you have yes, to be exactly. somebody before you can be nobody all that stuff but beliefs can only take you so far especially abstract metaphysical beliefs about that's not doing the journey that's not waking up to your own divinity that's believing in the divinity of someone else which is a good starting point it's just not the path for yourself it's not the path and how does it really help us in our relationships and how does it help us uncover the places that get in our way and mm, and totally. enable us to access that that place in us yeah yeah and so what's, often what's abstract the... yeah please go ahead i'm just gonna say in the end um and so in our culture that we're talking about, um, you know, we are all so busy and we feel as though it's just going to take time to 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 um, engage in, in these this sort of journey of of learning more about we're learning about the divinity in me. But the but the beauty and the magic of these practices, these teachers are are pointing the way to um, is that they don't take that much time. I mean, mm. it's really more about the intention of trying to sit for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And it seems like that's a whole lot. And in the beginning it is, but to just carve out that time and actually think of it as this kind of retreat time that sets us up for the rest of the day, because I found, and and I know you have, and really anyone who I've spoken with who started an intentional, say, centering prayer practice it's within days they start seeing that they're re- responding more mm. than reacting, right? Mm. Their their trigger points aren't as sharp. You know, there's this little bit of a pause that that happens because we have been practicing. It's like we sort of create this reservoir of calm, I call it, inside of us. Just those few minutes in the day where all we're doing is gently letting go of thoughts, coming back gently to that place of God in us Mm. that seems to transform us. Actually, something, what do you think of this, Kevin? You know, we call all of these practices transformative, Mm. but I've come to believe that they, they are more revelatory than transformative. You know, they transform our way of being, they transform the way we act, but really aren't they just revealing who we really are right Mm. we get in our own way we have all these places where we that make us react and not be who we can be but these practices sort of start revealing that core goodness in us if we keep Mm. returning to that of god Mm. in us the whole centering prayer practice it's such a simple practice but Mm. it's predicated on the reality that there's the light of God in us. And that means that our core goodness is what we're coming mm, to. Mm, so we start nice. living from that core goodness. Mm. I'm in a, yeah. um, I'm in an online community called closer than breath, um, mm. uh, led by Keith Christich and, and Jana Rensel. And we meet, they have several meetings during, during the week, but I meet on Tuesday mornings for 20 minutes. We sit together 
25 of us from all over the world, actually. Women from Malaysia, two people from Canada, Australia. Um, and we, ha and Keith introduces a short piece of either poetry or spiritual wisdom, like you said, one of the, one mm. of the your right, really right. favorite authors. And then we sit on Zoom in quiet, practicing centering prayer for 20 minutes, just letting go of our thoughts, coming back to center, letting go of our thoughts, coming back to center. And then we have a few minutes of just sharing with each other where we are in our practice. Mm. It's extraordinary how practicing in a group can mm. hold us, sustain us, um, and really build this practice. Mm. Um, but one of the, the reason I'm talking about this is one of the um, one of the people on that on that particular call last week said this just as a sort of an aside as she was wrapping up a minute or so of her describing what's going on in her life, going through some challenges, but finding that with her practice, even in some of the really challenging, stressful moments, there's this feeling of a steady kind of inner calm along with what's happening. So, mm -hmm. so her words finally, um, her actually quote that I've lived with the rest of the time since I heard her say it, she said, you know, with this practice, I find that now I am, I find myself, let's see, she said, um, I realize now there is a deeper I, meaning, you know, mm -hmm. capital I. There mm -hmm. is a deeper I now from which I live absolutely, and to which I return. Mm -hmm. So That's I thought, great. gosh, she just said that sort of as a kind of an aside. And I thought she really captured what these practices can do, even in the busyness and the sometimes despair of our of our lives mm. right now you know that we're mm. that we're all living in to be able to access that deeper eye is such a huge gift not only Absolutely. for us but for the people around us Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah that yeah. and that's where you know i i love that the, the deeper eye and i think the practice is like in a group it's so important because everybody's wired so differently and if you know, as Rohr says, and probably getting it from the Buddhists, if all spiritual practices are fingers pointing to the moon, mm -hmm. then the fingers that are helpful for me, that are helpful for you. It's like my wife and I working out, you know, like when I work out, I'm like, I don't want to be in a group. I don't want nobody around me. I don't want nobody pumping me up. So I'm just in my, in my head. I'm like, just yes. please shut up. I don't want that. I'm going to push myself to an eight. You're trying to get me to a nine. I'm not going no matter how hard you try to pump me up. I don't care. <laughs> right. But my wife, you know, she will engage more and she will push herself further in a group because she's more wired like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's different, the, the point isn't whether she's in a group or I'm alone. The point is we're exercising. It's the same thing with practices, you know, yes. Any space that allows us to consciously experience that deeper eye, as your yes. as your you know uh, so fellow sojourner said, yeah. and I was just I was just on this interview with a woman I had never met, and we were talking about some of these things about my own practice <clears throat> or whatever it is, and I'm like, you know, each time my 20 minute contemplative sits when I sit there on what one way of saying that is, every time I sit there, it's just me hearing and trusting you're you're already okay mm. 
It's a, you and, keep and now back to that. you keep coming yeah, back you know, to you're that. You're okay. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I I've thought about that before. Like an image I have for just the hustle culture mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in is like, everybody wakes up in the river and then we get out of the river and we go oh, into wow. the world begging other people for Dixie cups of water. Yes. After we've just stepped out of the river. Yeah. And I'm like, but, but if you wake up and you're like, no, I, I'm here. The rest of my day is an overflowing of that, which is already true, as opposed to me get, trying to get some of that from other people. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, Roar talks about contemplation as, you know, the more you go there, like intentionally in these carved out spaces that you're referring to, the more you go there, yeah. the more you naturally live from there. Like you just become yes. that person. There's yeah. a there's a real organic alchemy to that. And, you know, Ken yeah. Wilber talks about how temporary states, usually like in a peak experience, or, you know, you have these high moments with God, which are great and they can be real. And I've had many of those. Mm-hmm. And like these temporary states need to become permanent traits. And that happens through consistent practices of silence, solitude, and meditation. There's something about returning, as you say, to that space that yes. makes those the revelations of our mind, the things we learn actually become. We're not, we don't just believe them, but we become them. And that comes through the art of silence and solitude and meditation. Like yeah. that's for me, like when Jesus talks about the narrow path, I think none of this has anything to do with who's going where in the afterlife, you know, about the, about the narrow path. I'm like, it's about like, it is, it is a narrow path when we sit in the way of Jesus, when we say things like compassion is more important than status or love is more valued than power. Like this this is all the narrow path. And I'm like, even more so the contemplative path is a narrow path within a narrow path from my perspective Mm -hmm. And not because there's any restrictions, but because practically, because of the reasons we're saying so few choose to walk that. And yet it's universal accessibility. The The door to everything is everywhere all the time, depending on where you are. It's just so few people walk through, which there's no judgment there. I get it. You know, where mm-hmm. people are hustling and grinding and some people are born into social political situations. that don't afford them this privilege and space. Yes. I totally am aware of all those yes. things. That's a different, yeah. that's a different dynamic, different needs you have in that season. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, to know like, you know, Mirabai Star, who I, whose work I love, you know, her last book, Wild Mercy, I forget, it's like the fierce and tender wisdom of the of, of women mystics. It's something like that. But her last book mm. is amazing. And I forget where she wrote this, but she says, you know, we have a tendency to mistake the fireworks for the sun. Mm. You know, the fireworks is spectacle. You know, it's right. the $100,000 sound system. It's returning for the next this. two day conference. Mm. It's the next whatever. Like there's there's Christian versions of that massive conferences. And there's also other like, let's go to Burning Man and take ketamine for three days or whatever. No judgment. <laughs> no judgment. On everyone. Everybody's on a path. And I get that. Yeah. I'm like, but no matter how high your peak experience is on a Saturday night, mm. are we do we, are we present and do we have these practices on a Wednesday morning or Thursday afternoon? Cause without them, your ego will always creep back mm-hmm. to the center of your life and will remain in power. Your old forms of neuroses are going to get the best of you when you're stressed mm-hmm. and you can't practice the pause and respond. So yeah, it's, you can, That's- there's no, just, just like in anything, there's no bypassing or outsmarting the, mm-hmm. the, universal and consistent invitation from God to, to, to be silent and to be awake there. There's no one in the perennial tradition. None of the great teachers are ever going to be who they are or have Mm -hmm. the beautiful words they have 
without a consistent returning to this greater eye in silence, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah. you just and can't you know, escape that. Even, and, you know, some will become those teachers, um, but, but some can actually experience a real change of life um, with just a few moments. That's what I think is the beauty of this practice. You know, when you say the fireworks and the sun and the sun is always there. So we always have access to, to be coming back, even if it's for seven seconds, you know, um, even when we're in situations where there is nothing that can enable us to sit for five minutes. Um, I love that even science says now that even seven seconds or between five and 15 seconds, choose however many, but they said between five and 15 seconds calms our sympathetic nervous system and starts rewiring us. So, mm-hmm. so I feel as though this is really a practice that is actually accessible to every single one at any time mm-hmm. during the day. And one of the really fun parts of, uh, fun aspects of writing practice the pause mm-hmm. was doing the neuroscience research on it. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of moved from, well, I'll always be a theology nerd. That's just the way it mm-hmm. is. It's, ever since John Julian in my life, that, that's just mm-hmm. been who I am. Um, but I became, I joke with um, close friends of mine that, that I became a neuroscience geek as well. When mm-hmm. I went to a conference, a neuroscience conference, um, this is right around the time I was writing my thesis about Jesus's practice. I was mm. completely captivated with Jesus as human. Okay, Jesus, mm. human, divine. We're human, divine. Where's the divinity? Where's the humanity? But I was really captivated with the humanity of Jesus. How, if he were human, did he get past all these places that give us, that really catch us up? You know, the the temper or the rumination or the telling the old stories or protecting ourselves. How did he get past that? And David Keller, my professor there, pointed out that Jesus had a practice. And I thought, wow, Jesus mm-hmm. had a, why would he need a practice? So that's mm-hmm. obviously why, where the Eastern orientation mm-hmm. comes in. But the neuroscience is, is like, it's like a way, it's, it's like a way in for us in this, in this new scientific world that we're in, mm. it's affirming what you and I are talking about exactly. right here. The the neuroscientist I was I was I went to go see Dan Siegel. He's written a number of really excellent excellent books on this new field that's emerged: contemplative neuroscience. Mm. You know, we didn't the theologians didn't make up that term for this science. Neuroscientists mm. call this new emerging science contemplative neuroscience the study of the effect of contemplative practices on the brain so Mm -hmm. he was up there talking and everyone is excited this was about 10 years ago or so you could feel the excitement in the audience there's a whole mix of scientists and theologians all listening to what he's talking about and he was talking about how okay mindfulness meditation and certain kinds of prayer meaning centering prayer because it's really similar when we get down to the practice Mm. Um, and we can talk about that but um he said these practices have been shown on mr because we have advances now in mri technology we can see what how the brain changes he said it we know now this revolutionary phenomenon of neuroplasticity the brain will change 
with certain behaviors and environment. And what we're studying and finding out is that certain contemplative practices integrate regions of the brain that have to do with compassion, Mm. empathy, Mm. insight. This all sounds like Jesus to me. Mm. (laughs) So, So what was really fun about that presentation was, and he was telling us that these practices bring greater awareness and well-being and insight. And then he kind of turns around as, and as an aside, he says, of course, you know, every world spiritual tradition has been telling us the same thing for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there is this sort of collective kind of giggle and aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that moment, um, I think, was was one that many of us will remember. Wait, science is proving what the desert and mothers, fathers were telling us about that they learned from Jesus's mm-hmm. own practice, mm-hmm. silence and solitude with God. Jesus took time apart, <clears throat> even in the midst of every, I mean, once you, once you start noticing it, you can't stop noticing it. Why did we never, why did I never notice this before? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he teaches us to move into that, that place of quiet prayer in Matthew mm-hmm. six, six. Um, that was a, Another surprise mm. in my research. Um, the Greek is tamion. You know this. Isn't this wonderful? Right? The Jesus says, um, let's see, let me let me pull it up here. Um, Jesus says, I can't pull it up, so I'll just do it from memory. But in Matthew 6, 6, um, Jesus says, Whenever you pray, go into your room and close the door and speak to your father. Some people say beloved, divine, in secret. And you will, and he will answer you in secret. So, so here's Jesus just basically telling us go into the, well, when you look at the Greek, it's like the inner room of you, it's the mm. inner chamber. And mm. there weren't a whole lot of inner rooms in Galilee. <laughs> mm. And most, so most people understand this as a spiritual reality. Mm. You know, here were Jews praying three, four, five times a day, they weren't all going to an inner room. Everyone understood, and scholars talk about today, this inner room is the inner room of you. Mm. And Keating says, when Jesus says, shut the door, what he's saying is stop the inner dialogue. Mm. Get away from the thoughts and what happened and that an annoying conversation and what's going to happen in the future. You're right here with the divine for these few moments um, and the divine's trying to work in you. Another place, have you read where Thomas Keating said, it's kind of like an old fashioned transistor radio that has a whole lot of static. That's like our life. Mm. <laughs> We're hearing all of our, th- all of our thoughts and our experiences and our annoyances and our addictions and ruminations are like static. So we can't really hear what's trying to be said. So this practice of continuing to come realign, it's like tuning that radio so you can actually Mm. get rid of the static for even five or 10 or 20 minutes. But when we do it, just like you said, it starts being a part of us. And in the science, the science is actually so straightforward. Um, Mm. I love reading these studies because the introductions and the summaries are for lay people. And mm, mm. they re- and I talk about in my book, I give a 
kind of a fun chapter on the basics of this, but we're actually, like Dan Siegel said, we are actually creating new neural pathways in our brain when we do this. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I really can't meditate. I just got all these thoughts, you know, and the Buddhists are so good about explaining it as monkey mind, just this way, that way, this way, that way. And that's the way it is for all of us. But what the neuroscientists say, no, 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 the thoughts are really key because it's in that moment where we release the thought that actually that's where the neurons fire up. And Hebb's law is what it's called. When neurons fire together, they wire together. Mm -hmm. So if we're in an intentional pause, even for five, six days, mm -hmm. for 10, 15 minutes, those neurons are actually firing up and wiring new wiring that's connecting our very human mm. prefrontal cortex mm. um, with the more animal part of our brain so that so that so that the amygdala can calm down mm. and give us a moment, actually a nanosecond, to go right to our human part of our brain. So I love that these practices are actually <laughs> one neuroscientist, Andrew Newberg, said contemplative practice. He said contemplative practice makes us more human. Mm. Isn't that? And he's a neuroscientist. Yeah, contemplative practice makes us more human. How? It gives us that little nanosecond to calm down the fight flight mm. and to think with our prefrontal, with our human brain. And you know, it's happened to all of us, right? You know, that little second. It's like I took a parenting class and just the next day, just me pausing in a moment with one of my children help me to think, oh, no, I don't want to, I don't want to respond that way. Exactly. Here's a better way. So we all know that how crucial that nanosecond is where we mm. want, part of us wants to react because of all the things that get in our way, mm. but we have that nanosecond mm. and it changes everything. Mm, so absolutely. what's wonderful is because we understand the science now, we know that we we can't just wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to let go of what, everything right. that's getting in my way. I'm going to let exactly. go. No. You, if you practice, if we practice even for a few minutes, we're actually developing the capacity to let go without thinking Ex about it. Exactly. <laughs> right? No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we can yeah. wake up and say, wow, well, I've practiced for a few days, so let's see how this goes, right? Mm. You just find yourself not reacting as much and it's because of the grace of what's going on in us in our heart in our brain in those places where the heart and brain are connected cynthia Bergeau mm. talks about that mm. yeah so to me that was one of the exciting things about writing practice the pause i had seen in cynthia Bergeau's work richard war's book a couple of other writers where they would nod to this new neuroscience and how exciting it is but then I'd turn the page thinking, okay, are you going to tell me, <laughs> tell me some more about this? Mm. And, and they weren't going into some details. So I thought, gosh, this is just so compelling and so accessible. Mm. I need to, I need to write about it because it aligns right up with the practice and, mm. and Thomas Keating's understanding of centering prayer as divine therapy. It's, mm -hmm. it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. for us in this scientific age, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes. To understand it from a science perspective as well. Yes, 
No, that's, it's, it's, you know, when you're like, as you say, like you joke around, like being a theology nerd and, you know, (laughs) this is the work we do. We're interested in people waking up. We're interested in transformation. We're on our own path. It really is those moments when you're making the connections so exciting, you know, because you're like this all when you when you get more and more to like the simplicity of like truth is one and what's true anywhere is true everywhere and all the everything is going to have these chances to connect, you know, when you see the interconnectedness of all things, it's like well, when some people would see the neuroscience like that and like see it's not actually prayer or God experience because it's actually just your synapses. It's actually just your neural pathways. You're like, no, that's what's happening biologically and neurologically while this is happening. They're actually two parts of the same whole. They're not, they're actually not competing against each other for who's right. They're two parts of the same saying, this is the journey. And as embodied people, this is what's going on. Yes. Like forgiveness affects your brain your brain affects it's all when you see the inner working you're like this is all uh, as embodied people in an unfold unfolding in our individual lives an unfolding story an unfolding universe this is all actually Mm -hmm. confirming speaking to each other connecting changing each other and how we view science and how science views this it's all once when you can put that together you're like those things those antagonisms are actually companions along the way and it's much yeah someone i've forgotten who talked about it but these are our exquisite incarnated brains, right? Mm, awesome. These we were created with these brains and 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 Jesus himself was showing us practices that enable us to be more human, right? That these practices of reconnecting and realigning with God in the midst of everything are going to make us be as human as we can be. Mm. You know, we I, I write that we, we like to play the human card and say, but Jesus, I'm only human. You know, I'm, I can't do what you do. I'm only human. And I say, yeah, Jesus says, yeah, you're exquisitely human. And he deals us in anyway. Look mm-hmm. at all of what's possible. Keating mm-hmm. talks about us being in a spiritual, um, uh, spiritual evolution in the sense that we're now with these practices, realizing that we have capacities beyond what we've imagined in terms of being able not to react and respond instead from a loving place. And Mm. where's that? Think of all the potential that's going to bring us into. It gives us, Mm. it gives so much hope. And actually Mm. the fully human part reminds me of the got the non-canonical gospel of Mary. When the, when the, when the disciples are all in the upper room and they're pretty panicked that what's happened to Jesus may happen to them. And, and there's this beautiful passage where, where Mary Magdalene stands up and embraces them all and reminds them that Jesus has taught us how to be fully human. The master has taught us how to be fully human. So that, mm. that idea of living into who we can be and now understanding it from a scientific perspective as well, it's almost like the science is kind of an add-on. It's like we've known this and the Christian contemplative tradition has known this and other mm. other spiritual traditions have known this. So to me, it's almost like a, a nice little add on <laughs> that it mm. says. And by the way, this is how it works scientifically. Yeah. Um, but we all experience it from a real um, from a real heart level and from a feeling of of 
grace in the sense that in a sense of God with us all mm. the time. Mm. Yeah. Always the divine light mm. always there within us. Yeah. Yes. No, that's, Oh, it's all so, so good. Yes. Once I came across, I don't know how I first came across the cover of your book or the title and then immediately like somehow got connected. I don't remember the order of all of that, but I'm so mm. glad we did. Mm. I'm so grateful that you came on. This was amazing. Before I remind people, where is the best place for people who are listening to get in touch with you, find the book, mm. follow along with what you have mm. going on? What are the best, where are the best places for people to find you right now? Oh, thanks, Kevin. Um, yes. And I've just, I've so enjoyed being with you and I'm so um, appreciative of you um, inviting me on. Um, so I think the best place I'm most engaged on social media, on Instagram um, um, to find out more about uh, my book or um, what's wh- what I may be, what I may be involved with. Um, the best place to go would be my website, which is Caroline Oaks. O A K E S <laughs> mm. um, and carolineoaks.com. That would, that would be the, the best place to be. I also should mention what's just come out is a, a reflection guide for the book. Mm. I hadn't, I hadn't nice. let you know that as well. Um, yeah. Broadleaf books has just published the reflection guide that, that I was asked to write. Um, I call it a reflection guide. It's some people would call it a study guide, but again, I think moving from the head to the <laughs> right, heart. Right, right, right. Um, it really right. is written in that way um, uh, that that helps people to actually reflect on what they've read in that sort of lexio way. Why was this? Why did this shimmer up and touch mm. you? Um, so that's available on. I'll make that available on my website. Um, it's not mm. there yet. It, it nice. can be accessed through the publisher Broadleaf books but i'll put it on my website thanks (laughs) yes no i'm glad broadleaf has i think from what i've seen brought in and are publishing some really good stuff and have some great people on board right now so no i'm glad that however that all happened that you know you all connected and made this book possible because it really is a really unique and i think a really thorough um needed so much wisdom and very accessible, you know, mm. and I love that because I'm yes, so far removed yes. from an academic context, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, when you read in seminaries, like no one's going to read this. Right. Except the handful yeah. of theology nerds, but that's the wisdom is people are writing like that. And then five, 10, 20 years, as we're practitioners and live our life, yes. all that stuff speaking through us as we return now and we say, Hey, Here's what yeah. I'm offering, but those people are speaking through me. But you ain't never gonna read all those books. But now I'm yes. doing. You know, you do the hard work to make it like this is for everybody. It even, felt a lot even, like that, Kevin. Yeah, you yeah. have such a great way of capturing what really. Um, and as I said before, holding what what is. It felt mm-hmm. a lot like that. There, I, I reference all of those teachers. Um, but I have heard some some feedback that it that it is in an accessible sort of storytelling way or at least, or an accessible way in the sense of just adding in um, a quote or a statement that just supports whatever it is we're talking about. Yeah. Mm, it, I think it needs yeah. to be accessible. We're also busy. It doesn't, it can't be something that's just going to take a whole lot of time. It needs to have lots yeah. of broken up sections and easy chapters. <laughs> yeah. Mm, it was a thrill yes. to write really. Yeah, so no, thank you great. for that. It's great. I appreciate yeah. it. So yes. Caroline, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, yeah, for all the listeners, I'm so glad you got to listen to this. Pick up that book, Practice 
the pause. I'm, I'm going to pull this up to make sure I say the subtitle right. Practice the pause. Jesus's contemplative practice, new brain science, and what it means to be fully human out now. Thank you again, Caroline. Mm, thanks so much, Kevin. <laughs> Blessings.